you, Prabhu, for reading the scriptures for us this morning. <clears throat> Welcome to all of you, especially, uh, I know we have quite a few visitors here. And uh, today we are going to continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke. So this is, as you can tell from the slides there, this is part of a new series that we've started called the Acts of Christ and the Apostles. Uh, So we're going to go over the next, I don't know how long it'll take us, maybe two years, perhaps the last series took us, what, about 15, 16 months. So uh, this is going to be even longer uh, to get through Luke and Acts as two books of the Bible as we delve in much deeper to understand the scriptures. And uh, You know, just to recap a little bit, I think this is only the third message that we are doing in the series. So we're at the very beginning. And as we go through the Gospel of Luke to refresh your memories from the past couple of weeks, we have found or we've learned that Luke is a historian and he's written this two-volume history on the life of Jesus, uh, you know, which is the Gospel of Luke, which talks about the birth and the early life, uh, the birth and the life of Jesus, his death his resurrection, his ascension, and then he writes the second volume, which is the book of Acts, which is the early life of the followers of Jesus, that is, of the church, the birth of the church, the spread of the church, uh, the establishment of the church in different parts of the world. Uh, and the recipient of this um, of this gospel is, uh, is Theophilus. So Theophilus, as we were uh, told a couple of weeks ago, uh, was most likely a non-Jewish believer, perhaps of Greek descent. Uh, And, uh, you know, in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it gives us in in Luke's own words the the purpose of his writing. And he says that that he has written an orderly account that you, that is that Theophilus, may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So from this brief sentence, we can gauge that Theophilus was was perhaps a believer. He was probably out in somewhere in that that area of Asia Minor. Uh, he had been instructed in the things of, uh, uh, you know, in the in the in the uh, the teachings of Jesus and about uh, various things related to the to the church. And uh, the, and Luke, being a historian, perhaps a friend of Theophilus, is writing to him. And both Luke and Acts are written to the same person, Theophilus. And he says, "I'm writing these things to you, O Theophilus, that you may." know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So the purpose of this book was to solidify the faith of Theophilus, was to solidify the understanding that Theophilus had received from various sources as he became part uh, of the church. So this Gospel of Luke, it discusses how God has brought his salvation to the world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one key topic that Luke addresses, you know, when Raven a couple of weeks ago took us through a quick survey of the book of Acts, uh, you know, he mentioned that one of the key topics that Luke addresses is the role of Jesus in God's plan and the role of, of, uh, of Jesus in God's promises. And the key question in that context, uh, which he dwells on, is answering this question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and where did he come from or why did he come? And so this is the focus of the first two chapters of the book of Luke that we've been studying over the last couple of weeks. So Luke starts out in chapter 1 by 
providing his recipient Theophilus some background, background to the story. And he introduces us to the uh, couple of the main characters, which are John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. And Brother Jerry took us through the announcement to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, last week. So John the Baptist being one main character in the early part of the story, and then the other one, of course, being Jesus himself. And, uh, and so he, he introduces us to the origin of these two characters. He introduces us to the, uh, to the people around them, like their parents, uh, you know, Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and so on. And he does this to show Theophilus that the events that he is describing were connected to the prophecies in the Old Testament, that they were a part of God's greater plan for the ages. And he's answering that question of who is Jesus? He wanted Theophilus, as he wants us to understand, who is this Jesus? Who is he really? Is he just a man? Where did he come from? Um, You know, what gave him the authority that he had that allowed him to speak with such authority later on? So last week, we looked at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and the impact that had on his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Brother Jerry reminded us about the fact that the appearance, so we see there the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, who is a priest. He is in the temple doing his priestly duty, which, uh, you know, it it was divided up among the different uh, groups of priests. And the angel Gabriel appears, appears to Zechariah and tells him that his wife, who is barren, is going to conceive and bear a child. And of course, Zechariah couldn't believe it and and several things happen after that. So, and Jerry reminded us that this was the first time that God had actually spoken to the people of Israel in over a long period that goes back to 400 years, right? So there was a 400, typically called as the 400 silent years when we were going through the previous series. We spent a little bit of time there talking about it, Charles uh, Uh, introduced us to that again uh, as the first message in this series. So there was this long period of time, you know, as some of the Jewish people had returned from captivity and uh, there were various empires that were taking over the land of Palestine, uh, but God was silent. And so we see here God appears through the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, speaking for the first time over a 400-year period, And God is putting into action the next phase of his plan. So remember, when we went through the whole Council of God series, we talked about the fact that God has a plan that that began in eternity past that we see playing out throughout scriptures and culminates, of course, in the return of the Lord and the establishment of 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 the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, And here God is taken a pause for those 400 years and now he's speaking again to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. So today we are going to look at a similar announcement, uh, but this is God speaking yet again. And now keep in mind that this 400 years have gone by and God hasn't said a thing, right? And all of a sudden, this angel Gabriel appears with the word of God, a message from God to Zechariah, and he tells him that he's going to have a son and he's going to be a special person. He's going to be the forerunner. Um, you know, and uh, all those things we talked about last week. And now, you know, God doesn't wait very long. It's barely six months later, okay? Approximately six months after the angel Gabriel appears to uh, to um, uh, to uh, uh, Zechariah, he comes again. And this time he appears to 
Mary. So these two messages in the space of just six months speaks again to the fact that the appointed time had arrived. God was ready to kickstart his plan that had been lying dormant. Well, it was lying dormant in one sense, but as we saw, you know, God was still working, right? Even during those 400 years, he had prepared the way for, uh, you know, for the arrival of the Messiah. He had brought in this, this Roman government that had brought a single language throughout the empire, that had brought this network of roads and, uh, and trade and commerce that would later facilitate the, the, the rapid spread of the church into Asia and Europe. So God was still working, although he wasn't speaking, but now he was ready to, to kickstart that plan again, to, to get it going, to put a little momentum behind it if you were to use modern day terminology. So he sends the angel Gabriel to announce the birth of Jesus to his mother Mary. So let's look at that passage here. Let's just read the first few verses again. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 30. And so we're just going to spend some time going through this passage uh, uh, almost verse by verse and gleaning some thoughts and then we'll close with a few applications for us this morning. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, now the sixth month there is referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's the the reference point here. Uh, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So let's look first at at the announcement to Mary, right? What was Mary's situation? You know, here is Mary, a virgin betrothed to be married to Joseph. And Joseph, it tells us, was of the house of David. So, So, you know, we all know how marriages go. You know, every culture has different ways of bringing about marriage. And uh, here in the Jewish culture, they had a process that they called betrothal. And of course, we also use that term today for something like uh, what we would typically do, call it the engagement, or we even use the term betrothal sometimes. But in the Jewish culture, betrothal meant something slightly different, right? And uh, what a betrothal meant is that though the couple were not yet married, though they were not together and cohabiting, um, there was there was a lot more definitiveness and binding nature to this process of of betrothal okay uh, so once you were betrothed to someone it was almost as if you were married the only thing that was missing was that you were still living separately and then they would have a little ceremony where you would come together and they would consummate the marriage uh, but you know in fact if you Remember, I read the parallel passage, and that's the beauty of the Gospels. We can see things from different angles, right? So, so here, Luke presents mostly what happened from Mary's perspective. Matthew sort of finishes the, or fills the blanks there uh, with the, the perspective of what happened on the other side of the story with Joseph, right? So you can put these together and get the, the complete picture. But, but in that, uh, you know, in the passage that, um, that uh, Brother Prabhu read, it says that you know, Joseph had decided to divorce Mary. We'll come back to that a little later. So, you know, to break the marriage, you know, or the marriage uh, decision after betrothal was considered to be divorce because it was that binding, all right? The betrothal or the engagement was that binding. So here we have 
Mary, and you can imagine her state of mind. She's engaged, she's betrothed to this man, Jesus. And, um, you know, I'm sure many of you young ladies who've been married recently, you would know what I'm talking about. You know, what would you be thinking in those, and we don't know if it was weeks or months or or how long the gap was. Uh, but she would have been thinking, you know, focusing on her marriage, focusing on this new life that she would be having with Joseph and, and all the changes that would bring. And Mary was a young woman, uh, a virgin. And uh, all of a sudden, here comes the angel Gabriel, right? And keep in mind that people were not used to this, right? I mean, you know, angels appearing, even in the days when there were so many miracles, the appearance of angels was a very rare thing. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, here comes this angel uh, appearing to Mary and he greets her with these um, rather puzzling words. So keep in mind, Mary is just an ordinary young woman, right? There's nothing that's told to us about uh, her that's special. The only thing we see there is she's marrying Joseph of the house of David. And uh, of course, I suppose being in the house of David, um, you know, we know how we, uh, many of us are Malayalis and, you know, we always when, when somebody's getting married, they ask, uh, you know, right? which house are you from? Right? So if you're from some well-known house, well, I could name a few, but I won't. Um, <laughs> I think there's people from all those houses here. <laughs> so, so I won't do that. Uh, but, you know, I'll say, oh, okay, very good, very good. You know, that's, that's good. That comes with some, you know, some um, status, right? And so she was marrying this man from the house of David, which was probably a great thing in the in the culture of Israel uh, and she's sitting there and here comes this angel and here's what the angel Gabriel says to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And then we see Mary's reaction, right, verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled. So what was Mary's reaction? Mary was troubled, okay, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, the whole incident would have been troubling, you know, if you are a young lady and you're sitting there, I don't know what young ladies would be doing this this time, you know, during the, these times, maybe you'd be sitting there with your headphones on, listening to your favorite um, podcast or something. I get that idea from my daughters, so, um, you know, uh, so uh, all of a sudden some angel comes and says, you know, uh, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is be with you, blessed are you among women, wow. You know, you can imagine why he would be troubled, right? This is, first of all, you don't expect to see an angel. Second of all, angel says, you are highly favored and all these things. So it's quite understandable why, are you guys hearing me? You can hear me? Okay. Um, You know, why, why Mary would be troubled, right? So Mary's reaction was that she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting. Wow, this is an odd greeting. This is not the, your typical greeting when somebody comes and, and says, Hey, how are you, Mary? Or, 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 or you know, it, it's, it's, it's very startling. Uh, it's, it's something that made her afraid and troubled. And, and here is a very ordinary woman, one among many, many Jewish women. Uh, and, and God was, had divinely chosen her as the vessel to play a role in the fruition of God's plan of salvation. And of course, Mary had no idea about any of this, right? Uh, All she could think about at that moment was what is going on around me. And she was very troubled. And of course, the angel sort of sensed what was going on, the angel Gabriel. And he goes and expands that message. And by the way, uh, my slides will pretty much match your 
your uh, notes uh, that you have with you. So if you're if you're following along and filling it in, you know everything will be up there. So I, I just want to look at the these verses 30 to 31 next. Um, let's just read that. Then the angel said to her, to Mary, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we see here that the angel, if we break up what the angel says in those verses, there are actually eight things and I've listed those eight things there and let's just look at them one at a time. So the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. So the angel, you know, is a very empathetic angel, I suppose. And he, he recognizes that this woman, young woman, is extremely confused. She's fearful. She doesn't know what's going on. So he says, don't be afraid. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You have, second thing he says is, you have found favor with God. Okay, and why does he say you have found favor with God? How had Mary found favor with God? Mary had found favor with God because God had chosen her out of all the Jewish women, to play a part in carrying out his plan of salvation, right? And so uh, the first two things he tells Mary is intended to sort of calm her down and prepare her for what was to come. And the next thing he says, the third thing he says is, you will conceive and bring forth a son. Okay, you will conceive and bring forth a son. So just hold to that thought and you can see I put a little gap in there that's not a mistake because I was doing this at 11 p.m. at night. Uh, but there was intentional gap there. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay, you will conceive and bring forth a son. And the next thing, number four, he says is, you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, now Matthew one twenty one, he says the same thing to Joseph. We just read that passage as well this morning. Uh, and there he expands on it and he says, you shall call him Jesus, his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus, the word Jesus means savior. Okay, it's a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yehoshua, which means God is deliverance or God is salvation. Okay, the next thing, number five, he says is he will be great. And the next thing he says, point number six is he will be called the son of the highest. And then number seven says the Lord God will give him Okay, give this son of yours, Jesus, the throne of his father, David. And the last thing says is he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So when we look at the last two or three things that the angel says, these are messianic promises and we'll look at the promises a little later. Uh, but these are promises about the Messiah. And, uh, and so what he's telling Mary essentially by saying all these things, you know, numbers four through eight is that, you know, this child that you are going to conceive and bring forth, okay, he is the Messiah. Okay, he is the Messiah. Now, what was Mary's reaction to this? So we see in, um, uh, in the next verse there, um, you know, in verse 38, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, the angel has just told Mary, you're going to have a son and he's going to be all of these great things, right? And Mary uh, you know, just like any young woman, you know, her response was a practical concern, you know, so the reason why I had 
that gap there is because I, you know, I really think, you know, it doesn't tell us that, but I really think that Mary stopped listening after number three. Okay. So when, when, when the angel comes and says, you will conceive and bring forth a son, she's thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> angel, do you understand how this works? Huh? You know, how can I, so if we, we know that by looking at what she says in verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? So the moment she hears us that she's going to conceive and bear a son, she's like, you know, I haven't been with a man. How can I possibly conceive of a son? So I, I got to believe that Mary probably didn't even, you know, pay much attention to the rest of the stuff that the angel is telling about all these great things that the son is going to do and what he's going to be. And he's going to be the son of David and he's going to reign forever and, uh, and all of these messianic promises. You know, did Mary understand that, uh, that this was the promised Messiah that the angel was talking for about that the one that she was going to bring into the world you know the Jews were looking forward to the Messiah you know some of the characteristic of the Messiah that he would be the son of David and all of those things are all prophesied in scripture and it was a key part of their expectation uh, more so given the fact that they were in captivity and they were looking for that Messiah to come and and redeem them deliver them but Mary's reaction uh, you know was 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 much more practical and mundane right it's how can i you know how can this be right how can this be uh, this seems like an impossibility right i have not been with a man how can i possibly conceive and bear a child so she sort of missed the the larger point focusing on the practical impossibility of her conceiving and bearing uh, a son so then the the angel has to sort of you know again calm her down and explain some more to us. So let's move on to verse uh, 35. So then the angel, after she asked this question, says, um, said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay. So now the angel sort of opens up the, the gives a little more details of the story. And the angel says to her, he comes to the crux of the matter and he says that your child is going to be God himself, right? Mary's child was himself God. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overtake you. That Holy One is to be born, that that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, this concept of the Messiah was, was ingrained in the Jewish thinking. The divinity of the Messiah, however, was not. Okay, so, so people knew there would be a Messiah, but they viewed Messiah as a human king, you know, uh, someone who would come, a political leader who would free them from captivity. But now the angel expands on that and he explains that this one who is going to be born of you, he's not just a political leader, he's not just an earthly, like some other earthly leader, but he is actually the son of God. So the angel tells Mary, a very important truth that Jesus, the child to be born of you, Mary, is the divine Son of God. He is God incarnate in the flesh. And you can just imagine what is going through Mary's mind at this point. She finally realizes, you know, all those other things in that the first eight points that she had probably not paid much attention to. It all becomes a little more clear and she begins to understand that this is something extraordinary, right? That what is about to happen to her that God has chosen her to do something 
extraordinary, made a part of that plan that the Jewish nation had been waiting for, that the prophets had been prophesying about for all those centuries. It was coming to reality and she was right in the middle of that story as a key player. And so the angel then goes on and, uh, and, and, and shares a few words with her, right? So, uh, and this is, this is the angel Gabriel's encouragement. So he's sensing that Mary is still troubled about this whole thing, right? Uh, and verse, uh, uh, verse 30, uh, 36, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So the angel says two things to her. First, he says, you know, Elizabeth, you remember Elizabeth, your cousin, who's, you know, quite old, had been barren. You know, she is going to uh, deliver a child. She has conceived. You know, she is in her sixth month, uh, you know, uh, now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. You know, the one who was called barren. And then he says, with God, you see, nothing is impossible. So God reminds Mary through the uh, angel Gabriel of his amazing, awesome power. You know, yes, what is about to happen to you, Mary, is impossible by human standards. But this is a special work by God, is a special work of the Holy Spirit of God with whom or for whom nothing is impossible. The God whose messenger is speaking to you, Mary, is the all-powerful God. He has blessed you. He has blessed your barren uh, cousin with a child and he can make you conceive though you have not known a man. And so, you know, now perhaps Mary is starting to get the idea of what's going on here. You know, she's been given a glimpse of the power of God by the angel Gabriel and then we see her responding, um, you know, very differently. Now there's a complete change in her demeanor. She's no longer fearful. She's no longer troubled. And we see here in verse 38, that she gives a very submissive response. Verse 38, Luke chapter 1, then said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So what do we see here? Mary submits finally to the will of God. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So by this point, Mary had understood what was going on, uh, that she was to bring God incarnate the Messiah into the world and that reality was setting down upon her. And But you can think about the complexity of what the thoughts in her mind, right? What was her plight? You know, she was going to be with child. She was still, hadn't quite finished the whole marriage process. She was still betrothed to Joseph. And uh, perhaps she was thinking, what will Joseph think about this? You know, when he finds out that that, that I'm bearing a child, you know, what's he going to think? And we know that's why we read that other passage, the parallel passage in Matthew, that Joseph actually was concerned about it because the moment he found out, you know, Joseph, it says, being a righteous and honorable man, he, um, you know, he decided to quietly put her away, quietly give her a divorce, you know, um, so that he could move on and, and, and uh, you know, she could move on. Uh, that was the plight she was in. And yet, you know, we see Mary submitting to the will of the Lord. Submission in the face of complete uncertainty and doubt. You know, Mary had little idea what was about to happen to her life, um, you know, of the path that God had chosen for her, you know. Uh, and uh, 
as we think about Mary's life, now, you know, we have the benefit of, of hindsight. You know, Mary did not have the benefit of foresight. Uh, you know, and sometimes people, uh, at least, you know, some, some of the churches have glorified Mary and they draw all these pictures with Mary with a halo over her head and everything. And, and, and you know, it makes you think that Mary was just this, uh, you know, had such a wonderful life, right? But when we go back in history and we look at Mary's life, we find uh, what a difficult life she had, right? So there was all the travails associated with carrying a child for nine months. Every woman who's been through that knows, right? Uh, and then there was that long journey, almost an 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, you know, while uh, she was almost ready to deliver. And then, you know, there was the, 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 the societal problems that were created, uh, you know, for Mary and her family, caused by Jesus' very ministry. You know, we, if you go to Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says here that when his own family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. So Jesus was over there doing all the stuff that he was doing, and the religious leaders and people were like, you know, this guy is crazy. Okay, and even his family thought, you know, it was probably reflecting on them and they were very worried and, and his, uh, his family comes, including his mother, because later in that chapter it says that, you know, they tell Jesus, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you. So they had come to like take him away saying, look, just come home. But Jesus, something's wrong with you in your mind. Okay, so you can imagine the, the societal pressure they were feeling perhaps, right, that led them to that step. And that's where Jesus says, you know, he who does my will is my mother and my father and my, or my mother and my, and my brethren. And then, you know, finally, at the end, you know, Mary having to witness that final cruel death of her son on the cross. So Mary's life as a mother of Christ was not a very pleasant one. You know, the journey that God was about to take her on, you know, it's not that, that journey that's sometimes romanticized uh, by culture. Uh, but it was a difficult journey. And yet we find Mary submission to the Lord. She says here, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Here, Lord, I am, you know, ready to do your will. Here I am submitting to you, to your will. I know you are going to do a great thing and whatever happens to me, you know, uh, whatever Joseph might do to me, whatever society might think of me, I now know that I am part of your great plan of salvation. And she submits herself to that plan. We'll come back and draw an application for this uh, on this in a few minutes. But just moving on, I want to quickly touch on a couple of the promises, okay, the, uh, the prophecies that are fulfilled here, right? So, um, you know, we find, we'll find this throughout the, as we go through this uh, series, that, you know, there'll be prophecy after prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled. So there's two specific ones here. One is, of course, that the, the, um, the uh, virgin will give birth. I'm not going to go and look at those uh, verses. You can look at it afterwards. But in, uh, in Isaiah 7:14, he talks about a virgin bringing, uh, giving birth to a child and that being a sign to the, to the people of Israel. And we find that being fulfilled. And the second one we find is that David's offspring um, will have an eternal kingdom. So if you go to 2 Samuel 7 verse 12 and 13 where God is talking about, he's actually talking about Solomon and yet there is a messianic element to that thing. He says, after, the, after you, you will have a son who will sit on your throne and, uh, you know, and he will have an eternal kingdom. I will give him an eternal kingdom. And that, again, was a messianic promise. So when we go back to those eight things that the angel Gabriel told him, we find these two things being being fulfilled there, right? Many more prophecies were yet to be literally fulfilled and would be fulfilled, will be fulfilled during the life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus. But it started right here from the Annunciation to Mary. Even the Annunciation to Elizabeth was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the forerunner coming. Right here we find the fulfillment of the prophecies of a virgin uh, giving birth to a son who would be David's offspring and would have an eternal kingdom. And so this special birth of the Lord Jesus was again part of God's plan for all of mankind. So let's uh, quickly take a few minutes to close out with some applications. So what are some things that we can, we can learn and apply from this? The first point, I've got three, three applications here, is that God will fulfill his plan and promises in his way and in his time using people both ordinary and prominent. Last week, Jerry brought this home to us, this point to us, you know, about Elizabeth and, and Zachariah, two ordinary people who were just doing their, their business, you know, as a, as a priest and, uh, and God calls them, right? And again, here we see, Mary, a very ordinary young woman being called, you know, and uh, very often, you know, we, we somehow, so, sometimes we have doubts in our mind. Is all of this stuff real? Is it really going to happen when Jesus says he's going to come back again? You know, is he really going to come back again? But we need to have one application we can draw from the story of the Annunciation to Mary is that, you know, after 400 years, right, uh, all of these very improbable events start taking place, right? After 400 years of silence. And so, you know, all of these doubts we have when we look at the way God has, um, God has fulfilled His promises through the ages, we can be certain, right? When we talk about the, the return of Christ, I'm just going to turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. Uh, the apostle says, uh, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to your own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter's describing here that people, you know, keep saying, you know, when is this going to happen? All these things you're talking about, no, no, that's not going to happen. Life is just going to go on as we know it. Right? That's a very common thing that, that might occur to us from time to time. We've been waiting, you know, almost 2,000 years for the Lord to return. But, you know, the apostle Peter here says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. You know, perhaps the Jewish people had thought that, you know, the Lord had forgotten them. God had forgotten them. You know, they were being oppressed. You know, where is this Messiah? But God had a plan in the fullness of time. Galatians 4.4 God sent His Son, born of a woman. He had to prepare the way. So we need to, we need to, uh, how can we apply this to ourselves? You know, we need to remember that God will fulfill His plan and His promises in His way and in His time using people, both ordinary people and prominent people. You know, He used people like Herod and Pilate and all these people to fulfill his plan, right? He is working through history. He's working through the 
contours of history and using even the sinful actions of of human beings uh, you know all the wars and all of these things to gradually bring us to that point uh, of fulfilling his ultimate purpose of his son coming back and establishing his kingdom on earth we can be sure of that the second application is about our view of god right we need to believe in the god of the impossible you know the angel gabriel here says to mary for with god nothing will be impossible you know do we sometimes doubt uh, that that things are impossible for god you know um, how does our life reflect that you know do we really believe that anything is possible with god right do we believe in this or do we doubt it you know how is it reflected in our prayer life how is it reflected in our practical life how is it reflected in the strength of our faith you know do we believe that our faith in, is in a god for whom nothing is impossible he can make the virgin conceive he can make the the, the he can raise the dead uh, from the grave and he will be victorious over sin and over satan in the final day what is our view of god do we believe him to be the god of the impossible that doesn't mean he does everything we want but we have to have that faith we have to have that hope in a god who is capable of doing the impossible and then the last point is you know we should be prepared uh, and willing for the call of god for a special task outside of the norm god often calls ordinary people you know and the call of god can take us on a tough path just because god calls you to do something it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy it doesn't mean that you're not going to have trouble think about mary you know she was called to the special task and and mary willingly submitted she said let it be to me according to your word mary was on her way to a normal life you know she was going to be married in a in a few weeks she was going to uh, have a happy married life with this joseph the son of the house of david but god called her away from that right he, he called her to a diff- slightly different path there where she was going to bring the messiah into the world he god had a had a job for her let me just close with with this you know um, is god calling you is god calling me to a different path you know we're all quite adept at just proceeding around, along the path right we we uh, you know we live our lives you know just like everybody else does we get an education we get married we have children we have jobs we live our lives but what is god calling you to do is god speaking to you and me to do something different you know are we living our lives not focused on all of these normal worldly things but are we thinking about what is it that i'm doing for god you know what is you know we we see we hear of so many needs around us you know there are needs out, out in there in different communities there are needs for teachers in mission schools and medical professionals and and people to do translation work and and all these things you know uh, that are out there we we know about all of them we hear them we we see the forwards on whatsapp saying you know we need this we need that you know is is that god's way of calling you and me to do something different with my life you know mary had to had to say let it be to me without really understanding i mean even at that point the problems hadn't gone away you know joseph was still thinking about this soon as he found out he was going to want to put her away and, and you know there's a lot of details there that we don't know how how they went about that right until that angel uh, appears to joseph and tells him what to do uh, you know and and even then right she would have people would have been saying things about her and we can't imagine i don't think scripture tells us all the things that she went through but she submitted herself to the will of god um 
you know, let it be to me according to your word, right? Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So as we close this morning, I want us to take away these applications, right? God, remember that God will fulfill. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Everything that is there in in scripture or prophecies that are there of the future, they will be fulfilled. Secondly, you know, do we believe that our God is the God of the impossible, that he will take us through anything that we are going to be faced with? And thirdly, are we prepared and willing for the call of God for some special task that he has called us to. What he calls each one of us to is something different. It doesn't mean that you have to leave everything and go somewhere, but there is much more that we can do for the kingdom. There's much more that God wants us to do for the kingdom. That is what he has called us for. We we had a beautiful beautiful service this morning remembering the... uh, what Christ has done for us, you know. And let me just remind you in closing that Christ did not save us, you know, to to just take us to heaven. You know, he did not save us just to give us that ticket to heaven. Yes, we get that. Praise God. But he saved us to stay on this earth and be the salt and light of the earth. He he left us here to go through that process of renewal and transformation in our life, to do more for the kingdom, to make disciples of all men, to take the gospel, to... Uh, to teach people, to minister in the church, to exercise our gifts. And as we do that, we get transformed and become more Christ-like. You know, are you hearing that call? What is the call that God has for your life? And are you willing to submit to it despite all the uncertainty, despite all the fears, despite all the unknowns like Mary did? May God enable each of us to think about these things and make it real in our lives. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for for the fact that you are, Lord, a promise-keeping God, that you are a God who, who has a plan and you will fulfill your plan, Lord. And we just want to thank you that we are part of that plan, Lord. Lord, it is such a blessing uh, and it is only your grace, Lord, that has brought us into that plan. But help us, Lord, to also understand that you also have a plan for our lives and perhaps, Lord, it is very different than the lives that we are living today. Lord, I just want to pray that you will convict each of us even as we have dwelt for these few minutes on uh, Mary, the announcement to Mary and her reaction to it and what perhaps was going through her mind. Lord, we thank you for the nuggets of truth that you have taught us through this, Lord, this lesson. And we just want to pray, Lord, that even as we go through the rest of this gospel, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for any here, any person here, Lord, any, any young man, young woman, middle-aged, older, Lord, that you are calling out of the life of ordinariness, Lord, ordinariness of the world to do more for you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to them, Lord. Lord, you may not send angels as you did in those days of old, but Lord, you have different ways of speaking. We pray that we may submit to that, that even as Mary did, Lord, we may submit to your will, Father, to be part of the building of your kingdom, Father. And so I just pray that you would touch each heart and you would speak to each one, Lord, and you would call, Lord, call us and make it clear to us, Lord, to go forward and do that which you would desire for us to do. We thank you again, Father. We give you all the glory. We thank you for this morning, wonderful morning that we have had. And we give you all glory and praise in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.